0: It's a whole new week, and it's a special week. Your pulse has to be a little bit stronger when it comes to Holy Week. Your anxieties may also be increased a little bit. It's the end of Lent, a period of this 40 days where we've been fasting and denying ourselves, examining our lives, our hearts, our minds, seeking to be sure that our relationship with God and Christ is strong. Renewed by the strength of our own self-examination, our own decisions that we make in order to respond to our God in new and fresh ways. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, just like a king would. He comes as the king of the people who shout his name and shout Hosannas, calling him the Son of David. He comes receiving this red carpet treatment if you will to the sounds of the palm trees blowing in the breeze to the sight of them being cut down and laid as a pathway for him even as they take off their own cloaks and put them in the road to honor him shouting Hosanna to the son of David blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heavens. What a sight. You know we can't be there, and we can't even imagine what it's like, but some of our folks have just come back from from uh, the trip to the Holy Land, I'm sure, fresh in their mind are the sights and sounds of that country and its very nature. It's really a small country, very small to us as we live in even a big state, and in that time, word traveled fast and word traveled around, but even then, there were people who were watching all this going on saying, who is this guy? They had not heard. They were not clued in to the ministry of this man Jesus who had been in their midst for some two and a half years preaching and teaching the gospel. But here he came anyway. Now, today's a a special day if you're a golfer as well, right? And strangely enough, the Masters Golf Tournament uh, can contribute to our message this morning if you've ever watched it on TV. The way it can uh, contribute to our message this morning is this. If you've ever been to the Masters, which I was blessed to, to have received a pass to go there a couple of times from a couple in, in Paris, Texas. Having watched it for years on TV and seen all the famous holes and shots, I wasn't quite prepared for the aura of being in a special place at a special time and a special moment. I wasn't quite prepared for Sunday evening and afternoon when the drama is intense in this particular golf course. And people are lining every fairway where golfers are hitting those little white balls. And on one side of through the trees and the whisper of the wind, you can hear the shouts of, yeah, hey, you just hear the roar go up. And on the other side, oftentimes, just at the end of the resounding roars, you'll hear the groans, a collective groans that somebody has really messed up. Ugh, like Dallas Spith last year when he was on that dreaded shot on number 12. And he's still on the dreaded shot on number 12, chunking his ball into the water like I would might do. And you could hear the back and forth of the praise and the joy and the groans and, oh, no, their favorite players just shot himself right in the foot. That's what Holy Week is like except it's times 100. Because, you see, on Holy Week, heaven is poised to once again watch the church celebrate To remember, to remember the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, knowing that he's going into a hostile city, even though there were crowds that were cheering him on, there were many more who were not. And there were leaders who were planning his death even as he arrived. His disciples were trying to encourage him not to even go in, but he would not do it. It was a cup that the Lord had passed to him, and so he entered Jerusalem to the joyful cries of his rightful place as king. And we might ask ourselves, how did he do that? How do you get on a donkey and ride into the middle of the city where you know you're going to die? Where you know that's what people are wanting. People who have power. People who do not believe that you truly are the Son of God. These eight days in the life of Jesus are so important that indeed this last week of Jesus takes up a lot of the written material in the stories of the Gospels because these eight days, if you will, explain the rest of Jesus' life, explain who he was, explain what he came to do. They make it clear for all to see in ways that we cannot forget and must not ever forget that this was not just Jesus, the man of Nazareth, but Jesus, the Son of God. And so as he comes riding in, we find ourselves at a place of tension. There's the joy of Palm Sunday that we love to celebrate, and there's the impending sense of what's going to happen on Friday. Now, you may say, well, that's just hard to conjure up, but it's really not. Here, I'm going to help you. It's not going to be fun, but I'm going to help you. You love someone a lot. You know them inside and out. They have been a part of your life for. It seems like forever, and in some cases they have been, literally. Grandparents, family and friends, uncles parents. And you watch them and you celebrate their life with great joy day by day as you live with them. But then the time comes when they are very near to death. And the intensity of needing to be with them draws you in. You need to be there to share these last days or weeks, whatever they have left, so that you don't miss any of the time that you might have to be with them. The same time you're remembering with joy the life they live, but at the same time, you also know that they are very near to heaven. Joy, grief. They're very near during Holy Week, and they're very near, often to us on life. Even when we gather together to celebrate the life of a loved one who's gone on to be with Jesus. We're sad that they're gone. We want them to stay with us forever. And indeed, they shall, but just not always here. And yet, we also are happy for them, for we know where they are and with whom they are living. We know they're in the hands of Jesus. So this week, we face this task of living through the whole week, the whole of a holy week. To miss any part of it is to cheat yourself out of what's going on. I just suggest you don't do that. Don't find other things that are more important. Surely... For one week in our life each year, the Lord can be most important, right? I understand there are meetings, there's jobs, there's work to be done. It takes a lot of work on our part just to get ready in order that we might experience the fullness of Holy Week, and even then sometimes things happen that prevent us from it. But when we do really enter, enter into it, and we have entered into the reality of Lent, we come to this time And as we watch him writing down, we might very well be asking ourselves the question, what is happening this week? And how is what's happening happening? Well, What is happening is simply this. The self-revelation of the very nature of the God who created us all is being revealed. God is being revealed as the humble and servant love that is at the very center and core of his being. He wants to make clear in his suffering and death upon a cross as Jesus the man that Jesus the God cares about us in a way that diminishes his own care for himself, if you will. And that is expressed most clearly not in the story of the, of the palm branches being waved, but in the passage of Scripture that that Troy read earlier, the great kenosis passage, the great passage where we find in the middle of that passage a phrase that we must examine this morning because that's really what I want us to center on this morning as we think about how could he ride into that city toward his death? How could he put himself in the position to suffer the most painful and agonizing death one could imagine? How would that happen? We need to answer that. We need to get a sense for what it means to be like Jesus. When you read that passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it's probably the most, one of the most examined scriptures in the whole of the New Testament. It's a passage of scriptures that scholars don't always agree exactly on, what it means or what it stands for, but you don't have to worry about that. I'm here today to tell you what that means. So you, don't, you can ignore all those other people who've written all that stuff, right? But as they talk and as they talk back and forth, some things are clear, and that is one of the things that they are fascinated with is that verb kenosis that is, that is pronounced in our language, emptied himself. Listen to it again. Before, before I do, let me read the verses before the ones that Troy read. In second chapter of, of Philippians, beginning with the first verse, though many think this is part of a hymn in these words, and many scholars have written about it, I happen to agree with another minor voice, that this is not part of a hymn. That this, this fits perfectly into the way that Paul writes. Therefore, verse uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he launches in. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, the lowest expression of humanity, if you will. And being made in the likeness of men. Jesus, God, took on the form of a toad called humanity. You say, what do you mean, took on the form of a toad? I'm trying to get you to think about it. We don't think about this nearly often enough. God in heaven, pre existent with the Father in Jesus the Christ, before he ever came to earth, had all the attributes and the very nature of God himself because Jesus was God. He made the decision, the con- conscious choice, to be born on earth as a human being. There's as much difference between God. And humanity, as there is between humanity and a toad. That's why I use that word. You ever seen a toad up close? They're ugly creatures. Did you know that? I mean, they're just ugly. They're, you wouldn't think of a human. You think of a toad, you just think, well, just do away with the toes. Humans are so much better looking, so much more talented, so much wiser. Well, you see, can you even think about God of who God is? The God who spoke the earth into existence. The God who made us in his own very image. And then who's decided to climb down, if you will, from the rights and the privileges and the place of being God to become one of us so that he might tell us how much he loved us. And he took that form to such extreme that he was even willing to die upon the cross. Now, if I can't interest you at this point in what does it mean to empty yourself, Well, go ahead and dream about whatever you're dreaming about today because you're missing it. You're going to miss the rest of it too. If you just think about it, this man coming into Jerusalem managed to accomplish this. You have to ask yourself if you're Americans and inquisitive at all, how did he do such a thing? And it was very basically in one process called kenosis, emptying himself. And we say... How did this man who was truly God come to us in the lowest expression of humanity? Well, it's not unusual in the Scriptures at all. We've had a lot of examples in the teachings of Jesus leading us up to this. Christianity is often the very opposite of what we think about when we think of earthly principles. Here are a few. In order to be blessed, you must bless others. In order to receive love, you must give love. In order to be honored, you must first be humbled. In order to truly live, you must be willing to die to yourself. In order to receive, you must first give. In order to lead, you must first be a servant. In order to save your life, you must first lose it. If you want to be first, your first must be last. All of these teachings are spread throughout the New Testament, and they're all exactly opposite of what we do to get ahead in earth, aren't they? Do you ever see somebody walk in who's president of the company and decide, you know, I should have gotten this honor because I've never been last? (laughs) You don't see that, do you? You don't see somebody often come to you in an interview for a job and tell you, well, I'm really not worthy of this job. No, they come in and tell you how great they are, right? That's the joy of interviewing, or maybe not. But at any rate, it's just opposite of what the world says. If you want to have, you got to give. We want to get it first, and then we'll give it, right? We don't like to live this attitude of being a servant or one who's loving others selflessly in order to be loved ourselves. That seems out of order. When you compare it to the principles of this world. And yet. It is exactly the principle that Jesus emulated in his life. And he did it because he was committed to being a humble. Obedient servant. To the father God. He had the kind of inner strength. That he was willing to make the choice. To put God above himself. To put others in their needs. Above his own. He was able and willing to perfectly live a selfless life, which leaves us without words. And it should. He chose to serve us, And I want you to remember that this week. It's especially important. Everything that's going to happen that you think is terrible, remember, Jesus could have stopped it at any moment. Scriptures tell us he could have called upon 10,000 enemies to come, angels rather, to come down and wipe out all his enemies. But he didn't. Because he chose to substitute and give his own life for your life and for mine. Because he thought our life was more important than his own on this earth. That our well-being on this earth was more important even than his own suffering. That it was more important to give than to receive. It's a basic message of the faith. And as we gather here today, we need to remember it. We need to be humble and obedient to God. Finally, what was the result of his emptying of himself? This sacrifice of love that he bestowed and lived before us. The scriptures tell us in verses 9 through 11 that Troy read, God highly exalted him. God gave him a name that's above all names. God saw to it that sometime in the present, the name of Jesus will cause every knee to bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That is something we're looking forward to in the future, when Christ shall return, and everybody will know that Jesus is Lord. I hope that when Jesus returns, I'm still alive. Some of you say, "Yeah, but I'm young." That would mean, "Yeah," so I'm okay with that, because I want to be alive when Jesus returns, and I would like to be in the midst of a great throng of unbelievers. You say, "Why?" I want to see him confess. I want to see him eat that crow. You say, well, you know, you might be one of them the way you're talking. I'm aware of that. Okay, take the pride down. But think of the joy when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think of the sense of peace and unanimity that will spread throughout all of humankind as Jesus comes back and as the bumper sticker says, he's really mad, but he's really here. Think of the professors in seminary who thought it was just mystical words, not reality. I wouldn't mind being in seminary when he returned. That would be great, too. When Brother Allen is resurrected from his grave, I could stand next to him. We were such buddies at SMU. Okay, we weren't. But that's all right. It would be great to be standing beside him when he goes, Oh, my gosh, the miraculous has happened. I can say, I told you. (laughs) Jesus returned. He's going to return. So when we think about all of that, then we might ask ourselves, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me in my life? I am not Jesus. No, you're not. But the good news is you are called to be like Jesus, to be humble and obedient to the God of your creation. And you are also called to, like Christ, empty yourself. Take it out. Take it out. Take it out. And put in the radical love for God that is more important. Put in the radical love for others that's more important than your love for your own self. You say, Doug, that's not very good psychology. Psychology was a minor in my degree. It could never be a major. Because the psychology of Giving yourself to others may not be the best psychology, but it is the best theology. It is living the life of Christ. It is entering into a life that has great joy and great power to lift you beyond where you are today and elevate you in ways you can't even imagine. Simply by your humble obedience to the one who's given you life. You know, They're gathered around this afternoon, and yes, I will be watching the end of the Masters today, and I don't have a great favorite in it. it would be all right if Jordan wins, but if he doesn't, he doesn't. It'll just be great watching him try. But the crowds there will be shouting, groans of agony and squeals of delight will be echoing through those trees on that beautiful piece of God's earth. And it'll be something to be there. But you know something else is going on this week that's more important. All of the people, all the beings, all the angels have come right up to the edge of heaven wherever that is. And they're standing there and they're looking down upon this earth and all its inhabitants. And I believe there's a slow chant that begins today and will not end until the silence of Holy Saturday after the death of their Lord. And we'll be taken up again with shouts of amazement when Jesus arises from the dead and is remembered once again. But until that time this week, they're all sitting there chanting, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You see, they just didn't say that in Scripture. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you that's what they're doing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. By Wednesday, it'll be Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, by Thursday night, when he's in that Garden of Gethsemane praying, "Father, not my will, but yours be done." But can we not do this? Okay, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, Jesus, and then he stands before the king, the kings of this world, and refuses, refuses to bow down before them. Jesus is echoing in his. His angels are shouting his name. As they drag him through the streets and nail him to that cross, the roars become again very quiet. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. And then at his death, all the voices will stop chanting. the news on Easter morning when they hear the news on Easter morning well you'll just have to be here to find out what they say then will you pray with me Father give us the strength to put others before ourselves give us the strength of will to make you number one and others number 1.1 And ourselves, number two, let the cry of Jesus in heaven be the cry that comes from our lips. Even when it's silently, all week long, as we go about our task, may we just be saying, Jesus, 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 lover of my soul, Jesus, author of my salvation, Jesus, the bright and morning star, Jesus, the one who was with the Father at creation. Jesus, God made flesh. Jesus, the one who emptied himself. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, if there's one here today who does not know your name, who does not feel your name welling up inside them, Awaken their spirits to the sound of your voice. And if they are ready to come to you, Lord, let them come this morning amidst the shouts from heaven as the chant grows stronger. Jesus. 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 Anyone, Lord, who doesn't have a church family that needs to come, let them hear the chant of heaven. Jesus. Jesus.